0: Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning is James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So our message today is dealing with judging. And so far in the book of James, we have seen really three different tests of faith for the Christian. First, we looked at how Christians respond to trials. And as we said, a true believer is in tune with God's will, and responds with joy and trusting obedience. Trials show us that we cannot do things on our own. We need to rely on God. But that trial can turn into a temptation for some Christians. So then we looked at how Christians respond to temptations. As we said, God allows trials to occur in our lives to strengthen us but he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. God always provides a way out. We may not choose it, but he provides a way out. And last week we looked at the Christian's reaction to the word of God. When a true believer hears the word of God, they want to act on it. They want to obey it. They want to learn more. And we said it's not just an intellectual knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge desire, the desire of your soul to obey God and to be closer to God. Well, this morning then, we look at yet another test of a Christian. And this is, as James says, their partiality or favoritism. And in particular, James is talking about either social or an economic status. At some point in our lives, I'm sure we have all shown favoritism to someone, so James gives us the results of doing so. He says, when you show favoritism towards someone, it brings about evil thoughts. It brings about dishonor. It brings about oppression. It brings mercilessness, and it brings sin. We need to remember that God is impartial with his dealings with his people. That's not something that we normally think about God. We think God is holy, God is love, God is righteous, God is justice. But God is impartial. No matter how wonderful a person is, how good they are, they could cure all kinds of diseases. They could help feed the poor, eliminate starvation. They could do all these really good humanitarian works. But if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God will judge them for their sin. So God is impartial with people. And we need to be impartial with our dealings with others as well. Christians are all equal with God. And one day we'll all be surrounded by his love for us. So we cannot show favoritism towards certain people. Jesus says in Matthew 22 to love your neighbor. And Unfortunately, favoritism occurs in our neighborhoods, among Christians, and even in the church. Whenever someone new comes in to the church, we as members of the body of Christ must welcome that person in a friendly and loving way. doesn't matter if they are very wealthy or very poor. They should be welcomed the same. Now, we shouldn't welcome them in a pushy or weird way. And sometimes we have, as a church, we struggle to do that. I've been in churches where, you know, I'm a stranger there, essentially, and someone comes up to you and greets you and asks all about you. And then... Someone else comes up and greets you and asks all about you and then another person comes up and it's just like you're bombarded by people and, and, and for some people that can be a little bit uncomfortable. But I've also been in churches where you walk in and you are the stranger. Everyone looks at you. Who's this guy? What are they doing here? And that too is uncomfortable. So there needs to be a right balance. You know, And I always, I think it's totally wrong when someone new comes into the church and the pastor points them out. Yeah, who's that? we got a new person here. Would you stand up? Ah, oh, you don't do that. That person will never come back in that church again. So there needs to be a right balance of welcoming people. And I would think in larger churches, there should be more of a select few people that are in charge of that. but we need to welcome all people, whether rich or poor. And in our society, and again, in some of our churches, people with money, or people that look good, people that seem rich, seem to get better treatment. James saw it 2,000 years ago, and we still see it today as well. People want to be around rich people for some reason. They wanted to be back then. They liked rich people more, I guess. They wanted to be friends with rich people. Even though James says, hey, these rich people are rolling over you. But yet today we have that same mentality. We want to hang out with people that are a little bit above us. We want to to move us up on the economic or social class or whatever it is. That's the way many people are. It makes us feel important, maybe. Or maybe somehow we think it'll benefit from us. Hey, if we're friends with this rich guy, hey, next time he has a party, maybe we'll get invited over for some surf and turf or something. I don't know. Now, there's nothing wrong. James isn't saying there's no, there's nothing wrong with rich people. There's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is the fact that many of the rich people forget where that wealth, where that riches are really came from in the first place and who it really belongs to, whereas the poor people tend to trust God maybe a little bit more because they see God's hand at work in their lives providing for them every day. And since James uh, is writing really a practical letter for Christian living, it doesn't make sense to ignore the poor people as Christians if our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples for him, then wouldn't we want to do that to as many people as possible? Well, are you, do you think there's more rich people in this world or more poor people in the world? Well, Obviously, there are many more poor people. So if we exclude poor people, that's probably the majority of the world that we're excluding from the gospel. And that's not right. That's not what God wants. Rich people are no better than poor people. And God treats us all the same. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And our attitudes towards other, our treatment towards other, need to be guided by that royal law that James writes about. You know, people often think that people with money have it so much easier. And while to some extent it probably does for the daily living, you know, you don't have to worry about where your food's coming from that day. Because rich people have money or they have the access to credit cards that they can just buy their meals. So, okay, yes, some things in life are no doubt a little bit easier to do but the rich people are no better off because the rich people are trying to also hang out with richer people. So they're trying to get more money, even though they have way more than they could possibly ever need. And that's why James goes back to this royal law. The command is to pursue meeting the physical, meeting the emotional, meeting the spiritual health and well-being of others, just as we look after ourselves. We all take care of our physical health, to some extent. We all take care of our emotional health, to some extent. And we all take care of our spiritual health, because we love ourselves, but we're also to love others, and we are to truly love our neighbor so we are to be concerned with their physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being also. James comes right out and says it. If you treat people unequally, that's sin. That is sin. But breaking just one of God's law is like breaking them all. It breaks that unity with him. It breaks that bond with him and with others. So if you're murdering someone, or you're committing adultery, or you're stealing, or you're lying, or you're cheating, it's all the same in God's eyes. It doesn't matter if you cheated or you killed someone. It's all the same to God. Sure, we have different worldly punishments for that. Cheating on exam will fail the exam. Murdering someone is going to get you in in prison. But it's all sin to God. We're to love God, we're to obey Him, we're to love others as we love ourselves. And James talks about mercy. We need to show mercy to others because God shows mercy to us. For those who show no mercy to others, God will show no mercy to them. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the unmerciful slave in Matthew 18? The slave owed some money to the king. And the king showed mercy to that slave. The king knew that that slave could never repay that debt. The slave left the king's chambers and met up with a fellow slave that owed him some money. And that slave took the second slave and literally shook him to get the money out of him. He he showed no mercy to his fellow slave. One of the other servants told the king about this, and when the king heard about what that first slave did, he called him back. And he had him tortured until he could repay that debt. In verse 35 of Matthew 18 says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to each of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Showing mercy is important. Even in the Lord's Prayer, we pray to God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. at showing mercy to others. We're to forgive others. We're to love others as ourselves. Mercy is not something that many people are good at today. And we see this at a young age somehow. It's ingrained in us to seek revenge. Not to forgive. Not to show mercy to the other people. The cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of mercy triumphing over judgment. I think it would be a very difficult job to be a trial lawyer or in particular a judge or even an arbitrator in these cases. Because on one hand, as a Christian, you want to show mercy, but on the other hand, you have to carry out the law. But the cross of Christ is the ultimate example of mercy, triumphing over judgment. Because of the sacrifice that he made, I know I'm forgiven for my sins. And I know I should forgive others for their sins against Me. We should all do the same. And think about that this week. Whenever you're going about your daily lives and maybe there's someone out there that you're trying to avoid. Or maybe there's someone that you look down upon for some reason. Think about ways that you can show mercy to them. Think about ways in which you can reach out to them with love, with kindness. And make a conscious effort to love others, especially when they aren't loving you. It's difficult today. It's very challenging to do. But it's what God calls us to do. It's what we as Christians, as the body of Christ, need to show in our lives. Let's close with a prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. We thank you for your unending love for us and for your impartiality in dealing with each and every one of us. Help us to treat others the same way. We ask that you purify our hearts and our minds so that we may see others as you see them, and help us to care for others, and love them as you love us. Enable us to be the people that you would have us to be. We do this all for your glory and for your honor. Amen. Amen.